Have you been looking for that excuse to write more or maybe launch a blog? Tim Challies is our guest this week talking about how God called him to the ministry of writing. It's all in episode 55 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Thanks for tuning in to episode 55 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week our guest is Tim Challies. Tim is the pastor at Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, Ontario, and is well known for his writings, The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment, Sexual Detox, and The Next Story. But he's probably most well known for his writings on Challies.com. You want to hear how Tim decides what to write about and how he handles his critics. And now, here's my conversation with Tim Challies. Well, Tim Challies, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. It's great to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Tim, you are uh, a writer as part of your ministry. You have a site that's very popular, Challies.com. I've known about it for a long time. Can you tell us how God first began to call you into writing as a ministry? Yeah, well, I just started writing for fun. I started writing primarily for the benefit of my family. This was all the way back in about 2001, 2002. And uh, over time, started to put out a few articles there I thought would be interesting to them. This was really before people were talking about blogs or anything like that. And uh, I guess Google and Yahoo and AltaVista or whatever these search engines were back then started to pick up the content. People started to read it. And it really just grew from there. So there's a sense in which I never really felt called at all. I just did it and it grew into something. And I had to step back and say, all right, is this something that I can, maybe that I should do full time? Or is this something that I should continue, you know, should I be pursuing other things and letting this just grow up on the side? Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of leaders are starting similar sites. It seems like uh, it's the age of platform building and all this type of stuff. For you particularly, how do you make decisions on here's something I want to write about or and maybe even things that you're like, ah, I'm not going to I'm not going to really take time to tackle that. Yeah, I guess my generally what I think is if this is of interest to me, then hopefully probably it's of interest to other people. And so I try to keep my ear to the ground. I try and just see what other people are talking about, see what's going on in the news that that interests me. So I want to think about it. And then if I'm thinking about it, well, often I write about it. That's my way of processing information, my way of really, I don't even know what I believe. I don't know what I think until I write about it. So it's my external processing of things. And then I've just found over the years that if I can put that out on the internet, other people generally like to read it and at least find, even if they really disagree, at least it's a viewpoint, they can now respond to either affirmative or uh, against it. Mm Mm-hmm. And recently, well, I don't know how recently, but you made a decision to stop allowing comments uh, on yeah. your blog. Talk about how you came to that decision and uh, and why you did that. Sure. I don't love the word platform, but I guess it's a necessary evil as we talk about these sorts of things. And so as a, as a blogger with a pretty substantial readership, you end up with a certain platform, which means a certain number of people are coming to your site and your reputation is tied up in that. And what I was finding was that as the site grew, more and more commenters were using it as their own platform. So there might it might be that by leaving a comment on my site, they could get more eyeballs on their, their words, even then if they posted it at their own site. And so there was a lot of negativity, a lot of backlash that was now cruising in uh, on my site. And it was actually affecting my reputation. 
so people would read my site and all those negative comments would just become part of their feeling, part of their thought about the site. And, and not only that, but it was also more and more work, just hours and hours of moderation. And if you take a comment down, then the person says that I'm trying to silence them. If I leave the comment up, then I'm allowing things there that could be wrong, could be dangerous, could be outright biblical, could be obnoxious, could be a lot of things. So there are lots of great comments, lots of very good, helpful commenters, but it was really the negative ones that, that made me realize I need to step back from this. And so in its place, I implemented the, the letters to the editor feature, which allows me to curate. I put out some of the positive, some of the negative, but I try and remove the, the highest and the lowest, you know, the ones that really aren't that helpful at all. Mm-hmm. And has that kind of moved the conversation to Facebook? I imagine that people are still engaging with the content on Facebook. Yeah, and in a sense, the content, the discussion already had moved to social media, right? When blogs mm-hmm. began, they were social media, right? These other networks hadn't grown up yet. And so people would communicate primarily blog to blog. But as social media grew up, there's now this third place, this third-party platform people could discuss things on. And so more and more, Facebook is there. Facebook moderates itself, which is one of the big benefits there. When people go to Facebook, they, they understand the rules of the game there. They understand how to ignore people. In, in a blog commenting system, it still doesn't work quite that well. Mm-hmm. And so is that something that you do? Do you, do you follow pretty closely the conversation that's happening on Facebook? I should, but I do not. Uh, mm-hmm. I just get busy with other things, and I, I'm not on Facebook much, to be honest, so I just forget to follow along. And if things get bad, I usually find out about it one way or another, but I try and uh, tune in a couple times a day, but I often just plain forget about it. Yeah, and that's the same thing with, with church leaders. Uh, like we, we moderate and watch those comments, uh, but it's, it is really hard to, to keep up with everything. Um, right. And so there's probably a group of leaders listening to this right now that are kind of like, man, I, I don't, it's not my thing. I don't like social media. I feel it's not native to me. Um, is there a reason that you would encourage them to push themselves to be more present on social media? Yeah, I don't want to say everybody has to be. You know, there, there's some people who would say that, that you're completely irrelevant uh, if, if you don't get onto social media. Uh, you know, I don't quite believe that. And I think as time goes on, we're seeing more and more people as a pushback against social media, deliberately trying to get off it. You know, as electronic media have grown up, so too have moleskin journals and fountain pens and things like that, right? So people are reacting to all of this new technology by enjoying old technology or by refusing to be part of it. And there's there's something to be said for that. But the fact is, a lot of the conversation today is happening there. And especially if you want to reach a younger audience, that's really the way to do it. You reach far, far more of those younger people. And, and by younger, I would say even 30 and under. They are communicating through blogs, through social media. That's where they're going to find new ideas. That's where they're going to discuss new ideas. That's where they're going to sharpen their convictions. And so uh, I think most Christian leaders would do well to be there so they can be part of that conversation, so they can exert their mature influence in that place. Mm -hmm. And I think um, another challenge I see is um, it's kind of changing the the way we write, um, because it's really easy to, you know, write a long comment or or just kind of, even email has changed letter writing, uh, where we're writing things very quickly and, and sometimes not as thoughtfully. So do you feel like social media is a place where people can put out these very thoughtful posts uh, and thoughtful engagement, and it actually adds to the conversation? Or do you feel like 
it's actually having a negative effect on the the state of communication itself. Yeah, well, it's funny when the blogosphere first came about, people saw it as a very reactionary medium, and it, we we were used to magazines and newspapers that had a day or a month to germinate before those words went out to the public. Blogs came along, and they could be instant. Funny thing is, then social media came along, which is even more instant. And blogs, to some degree, became sort of a middle ground where now blogs were, if you had something to say immediately, you'd throw it out on Facebook. But if you want to think about it a little bit, you would blog about it. And so I think in that sense, there, there's a difference between those two platforms. Blogging tends to be a little more thoughtful now. If you have something to say immediately, go to social media and say it. And I, I don't think Facebook is typically a great place to say really thoughtful, deep things. However, we do have some exceptions, like Benjamin Watson writing his post about race and uh, about his experience being African-American and it, it gaining a ton of traction and leading to him becoming something of a leader in, in that conversation. So there are exceptions. Mm -hmm. I know that... Um you on your site, you haven't um, shied away from controversy. There's been some posts that have been controversial, even within your own audience. As you as you've kind of dived into the, some of those, how have you decided? Okay, is this something I'm gonna I'm gonna take on or tackle or 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 not? Yeah, I've grown a lot in this way over the years, or at least I've changed a lot in this way. And I think anybody who gets into social media, especially into blogging, he learns, she learns very quickly that the way to gain an audience quickly is through controversy. If you say outrageous things, if you always dwell on the controversial topics, that is what tends to gain the audience. It's a lot harder to gain an audience by speaking positively, by writing things that are far more positive. And so I think a lot of people make that mistake or they make that decision, I'm going to dwell in controversy as a way of building my audience. And I think to some degree I did that uh, when, I was, when I was younger, back in uh, maybe five, ten years ago. And I came to realize that was spiritually devastating. It was very difficult to do. Uh, and so now I make it a very rare thing to go into controversial areas. And I do it very thoughtfully and, and with some hesitation. So I, I still deal with controversial topics from time to time. Uh, I try not to be too reactionary. I try and present a, a positive, well-thought-out view on it. Uh, and yet there is a place, of course, for Christians to speak to those controversial subjects and to try and be a voice of reason or try to take a position, try to help people think it through. Um, so I, I know I failed there quite a bit in the past, and I hope over the last few years I've grown in, in my ability to speak to those things well and in a way that honors other people and in a way that honors the Lord. Mm -hmm. and I do think that that's part of just leadership. There's times where we have to weigh in on things that that aren't going to be popular. And I, I, th I th sure. feel like I didn't bring it up because I thought it was a weakness. I think you've done it well. Are there, are there topics that though, that you look back or even like posts that you look back, you're like, that was one of the hardest things I ever had to write about or that, but I felt like I should. Yeah. I think there's been a number over the years. Some of them have been book reviews and, you know, there's been certain genres of books that I've written about several times, whether that's the kind of heaven tourism books or things like that, where I felt here's an opportunity to speak to that genre of book and also then help people understand why I have concerns with those books. And that, sure, that was controversial, but I think there are lots of people who are thinking the same thing. Um, other times I've, I've spoken to or about even people in my quote-unquote tribe, another word like platform that I don't, I don't really love, but 
we'll use it here, uh, speaking to issues where even people in my own little tribe here would disagree with me, but trying to, to again, express myself there. And so maybe that was, uh, there, there was one where I wrote about John Piper inviting Rick Warren to his conference. And, you know, I consider Piper uh, an acquaintance, if not a friend. And certainly a lot of the people who work with him are friends. And so that was hard to write, but I wanted to express and help other people understand why I considered that a bit of an odd move or something that was maybe worth thinking through together. So, yeah, I think there's been a number over the years where I've, I've tried to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, people you trust that are kind of your review team where if you have something like that, where you're like, Oh man, before I put this out, I might float it out to some people um, and just get their take before I go live with it. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if there are things that I know are going to be controversial or I suspect will be controversial or I just really want to be careful that I'm saying the right thing, I'm a little, I'm having uncertainty, then I usually send it to two or three different friends, sometimes even a little bit more if it's something exceptionally difficult. And uh, those are people who I, I trust, people who I know love me enough to say, don't be an idiot, or don't do it to yourself, or don't insult people, or whatever, they'll speak bluntly to me. And so I do often, not often, but on a regular basis, send out those things for review and for feedback. Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing. I, I mean, I, I have not written as much as you have, but that there's those times where you put something out and it's just like, oh no, and you, you know, you kind of are watching those comments closely, and it's. I don't think maybe you could tell me is it something that you get used to that feeling of oh here we go or I didn't know that there, I didn't think about that angle or that response that might come. Yeah, you, you get used to it, but it never really feels good, and it's especially if you think you might be wrong or you realize pretty quickly you were wrong. So. Even after all these years of doing it, I've been blogging on a daily basis for over 12 years now, I still don't have a good gauge on what's going to gain a reaction and what's not. I still can't tell the difference before I post it about something that's going to fizzle and nobody will link to or something that will explode and tons of people will link to. It's very, very hard to know. Mm-hmm. Now, and are there times where you pull something back or, I mean, I've, I've done that myself, where you might say, oh, I'm going to change this or shift this or, or even just retract it? Are, are there times that you'll do that based on the response? I don't know that I've ever pulled anything down or erased anything. Uh, I've posted explanatory things once or twice. I've posted full out apology thing, but I don't go back and change it because that's, I think, regarded as something of a no-no or uh, the kind of thing that just causes more controversy to grow up rather than just leaving it there and maybe attaching a note or something. So I think people tend to start copying and pasting right away. And if they go back and see that you've changed things, that, that just causes more problems. So no, I typically don't do that. Yeah. Without acknowledging it, just, just yeah. kind of change it. Yeah. Maybe fixing words here and there or strengthening words here and there, you know, minor changes, but to do anything substantial tends to just cause more problems, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, for those out there, and you know, I know there's a lot of um, young leaders in our audience who kind of probably look at what you're doing and think, oh man, I would love to do that. I'd love to, you know, do like kind of follow in Tim's footsteps. What advice do you give to people that, you know, would love to be writing more or, you know, they're have their writing more visible online? I guess the first thing is just to write. So there's a lot of people who want to write and they want to read about writing, they want to talk about writing, they want to check out blog posts about writing, but what they don't actually do is write. And the only way you'll become a good writer, the only way you'll become a better writer, the only way you'll become a noticed or known writer is by writing. So there's always these excuses to do anything but actually put words on paper or words on screen. So that's the first thing. 
Uh, the second thing I, I'd say is try and get to your own heart and understand why do you want to be seen and known and noticed. It's always a, a, a difficult conversation to have with yourself or a difficult thing to, to mine out of yourself. But, but what is it? Why do you want to be seen and noticed? Because a lot of the time people want a reputation, they want to be known, but not for very good reasons. So I, I would encourage people to, to just have that conversation with themselves, ask other people, and then I get the I have the privilege of being a bit of a generalist in the in the Christian blogosphere. You could say I can write about a, a wide variety of subjects, but a lot of that is because I started very very early. I started in two thousand one when there were very few blogs, and so I gained an audience just by virtue of doing this over a long time. Starting today, I think the better strategy, you know, after all this time has gone on. The better strategy is to pick a, a niche, to, to pick a smaller field and to be an expert in that. So don't go general as much as go narrow. Find something that's of real interest to you, a hobby or a or, or something, you know, some part of theology or some, you know, church planting, something like that. Find one area that's of interest and become an expert there. Gain gain authority in that area. I think that tends to work better than just trying to write about absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like uh, you often are re- reviewing new books that are coming out and, and looking at that. I know that's been a part of, of your, your page. How do you make decisions on things that you're going to review or, or things you're going to pass on? So I get just about all the books. Most of them show up at my door one way or another. So I have a lot to choose from. And again, what I tend to to do is just think what would be of interest to other people. And then I will read those sorts of books, those will be the ones that I'll want to read and review. Occasionally, though, I'm looking for something different, something that, you know, that that jewel in the rough, that book that nobody's ever heard of before, but that is, you know, hasn't gotten the attention I think it deserves. And though, that's the real joy of reviewing, is to take a book that has gotten very little attention, start talking about it, and, and see people buying it, engaging with it, enjoying it. So, but generally, I try and stick with the the ones I think people are most likely to to enjoy. And then I also tend to read most of the bestsellers. That's a good way of putting your finger on the pulse of evangelicalism, right? Just mm-hmm. what are people reading? I'm, I'm going to try and read a lot of those books anyways. Yeah. Are there some authors that you would say, I will read everything that they write as, as, as long as I have time to? Yeah. I, I tend to read everything R.C. Sproul writes. He's my favorite. And um, you know, some of the newer authors, a guy like Kevin DeYoung, I'll read all his books because he's going to write probably 60 or 70 over the course of his life. And I've started, so I may as well just keep going, right? And he's always got great things to say. Um, so there's a number of authors that I enjoy. There's others I touch base with every now and again. So I'll read every third or fourth book just to see what they're saying, see what they've they've updated or changed. And some of those would be authors I really enjoy. Some of those would be authors that other people really enjoy that I don't so much. But I just want to see how they're tracking, what sorts of things they're talking about. Mm-hmm. What's a book that you've reread and reread the most, you think? I'd say The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul and The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. Those are two that bear repeated rereadings. Both have been very, very important in my life. Both have shaped me in important ways, and both just never get tiresome. I can read them again and again, and there's always new things to learn and new things to apply. The, the holiness of God being very much, well, just what it talks about in the, in the title, but just bearing in on God's holiness. And then the discipline of grace, more of a Christian living book. How am I going to live before the holiness of God? How can I live like this gospel is true? Mm-hmm. 
Let's talk about uh, your rhythms. I know, I know every writer has different daily rhythms of kind of when they like to write or, or what works for them. But yeah. for the person out there who is like, man, I, I just struggle to write. There's, I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of things I want to write, but I just can't get my rhythm down. Tell us about the rhythm that you found that kind of makes most sense for you. So you need to find when you're at your best, when you're you're at your mental peak, when you have the the greatest clarity. And for me, that's in the mornings. So, uh, and you know, usually after the second cup of coffee, sometimes before the first. So my my normal rhythm is I get up in the morning and I read my Bible, I spend time with the Lord, and then I sort of do a little bit of blogging stuff, just uh, more tidying up stuff or getting that a la carte post out the door. Then I get the kids up and get them out the door, get them off to school. And then that's usually about 8 o'clock. By 8.39, that's where my brain really starts firing. And so in the next two, three hours, that's when I do the bulk of my writing. It, it comes quickly then. It comes fast. It comes furious. That's when I do my best stuff. And then early afternoon to mid-afternoon, I'm pretty well useless when it comes to ideas, when it comes to creativity. So I tend to do more administrative stuff then. And sometimes in the evening, if I decide to do a bit of work in the evening and things come back around six, seven o'clock, I get another little burst of energy and, and then I'm done again for the day. So the bulk of my creative energy happens at a fairly short time. So I really try and identify when that time is and try and bear down and do the bulk of my work right then. Nice. Are there ways that you intentionally eliminate distractions in the place that you're writing? Yeah, when I'm at my best and when I remember to do that, and it takes commitment to remember to shut down Twitter and to shut down email, because those are the things that interfere. I don't get a lot of text messages. I don't have notifications on my phone. But if I'm not careful and not thinking about it, then I tend to leave those other things running and find myself flipping back and forth. So when I'm at my best, when I'm, when my awareness is high, I'm shutting those things down and just focusing on writing, full screen my writing app, and just get to work. So do you have a certain output that you're going for every day or, or a word count, or are you just kind of, as long as you, you're feeling productive, you don't worry about that? Right. Yeah, I don't care about a word count so much. And for a while, I was trying to write about a 1,000 words a day. But in the end, I found that I'd rather come up with one good idea or one good post. So even what I posted today was just a couple hundred words, but I, I hope they were good words and helpful words. And if I had added to them, it would have just been redundant. And really over time, I've been trying more and more to sharpen my writing to get rid of extraneous words because I do tend to be wordy, especially in early drafts. Um, so I, I like to tear it down to its essence before I throw it out there to the public. That's great. And so one of the pieces I've seen, you know, is, is people saying every, you know, every pastor should have a blog, every leader should have a blog, everybody should be writing. Do you do you feel like that writing is something that's a, a gift that some will have and some should be using, or do you feel like it is? Well, you no, know, anybody with a message should be out there writing. No, I don't think everybody needs to write, and I do think some people are especially gifted writers. Others of us, I don't consider myself a gifted writer. I just consider myself someone who loves writing and is just very dedicated to it. So if you want to get into Gladwellian 10,000-hour rules or those sorts of things, you know, I just write and write and write. And over time, it gets a lot easier. You get better at getting things out of your brain and onto the screen. So uh, does every pastor need to write? I don't, I don't think so. Every pastor needs to be reading, filling their mind. Every pastor needs to be creating, whether that's sermons or messages or something. But I don't know that everyone needs to write. As you think about, like, you know, the next 10 years, if you could, you know, forecast forward, what are some of the things that ways you're pushing yourself, um, you know, thinking about your website, things that you'd love to do or things that you're you're hoping to try um, ways you're pushing yourself, if, there, if there's anything you'd want to share? 
I like to keep up with new innovations, with new technologies. So I, I think for me, it's a lot of it is keeping my ear to the ground and trying to understand what are the new technologies that are actually going to last and stick around. Uh, so podcasting, you know, fairly recent innovation, and it's stuck and it's growing and people are loving it. So I've gotten into it from time to time, and I'm con- uh, still considering that more and more. But you know, what's next? I don't know what's next. I don't know what the next thing is. But trying to keep abreast of it, and you know, trying to weigh them carefully, so you're not always getting distracted by all these new things that are here today, gone tomorrow. But trying to find those few that stick, and then trying to get early into that new medium so you can uh, get to know it well and get to use it well. Mm-hmm. Are there podcasts that you particularly enjoy uh, listening to? Yeah, that's part of my problem is I don't listen to too many podcasts. Uh, when I was working in an office, I was driving a lot more than I listened to them in the car. I don't really listen to them around the house much now, mm-hmm. now that I work from home. So that's part of my problem. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Therefore, I haven't found that much uh, energy behind creating one of my own. Great. Well, Tim, thank you so much for for your time. You've allowed us to take a lot of your writing and share it with uh, the Church Leaders audience, and we're always uh, just grateful for your partnership in ministry. And and thanks for taking time to to share with us here here today. You're very welcome. Thanks again to Tim Challies for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and consider sending this episode to someone you know who might enjoy listening to it. Also, you can go to our website, churchleaders.com forward slash podcast to download the show notes for this episode, where we include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com. Also, if you have ideas on how we can improve the show or guests that you'd love to hear us interview, you can email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.